everybody, welcome. You're listening to the Amplify podcast, brought to you by the Rise Collective. We champion creatives and build collectives at the forefront of social change. I'm Arden Fitzroy, lead producer, and this is Queer Joy, the second series of Amplify. This series was created by the next generation of creative leaders and changemakers. These are our own stories, on our own terms. Hello everybody. On this episode of Amplify, we're bringing you Creating Dangerously with me, Pip. And me, Destiny. This is a podcast where we platform emerging artists, talk about the art we're loving and discuss the difficulties of creating art in these hostile times. And hostile times they are indeed. But given that this is our first episode, we wanted to take just a little bit of time to introduce ourselves and really set the foundations that this project is going to grow from. So this episode, we'll be interviewing an emerging artist, asking them about their work and their connection to different creative and cultural spaces in London. Hopefully, we'll be getting a little snippet of their work as well. So watch out for that. We've got a lot in store for you. Me and Pip will be hosting artistic check-ins each episode, where we'll discuss topics relating to what it's like living the arts in London, and maybe even discuss some of the art we've been consuming at the moment. It's going to be our own cozy creative corner. I'm very excited about the artist check-ins. But in light of that, Dee, do you want to start us off with a little self-introduction? More than happy to. I'm Destiny, they, them. I'm a fat black queer poet. I'm currently studying and grinding in this London. Um, I'm really interested in political poetry, social change, sci-fi, cartoons, and baking, to just throw it all in there. (laughs) And um, I guess I'm just excited to like discuss all the art we've consumed during the pandemic. Yes, and living in London surely is a grind. But I know Destiny, and I know that they're very humble and aren't plugging themselves as much as they should be. But that's what I'm here for. No, I'm not. Never are. Never are. (laughs) Everyone, check out Fat, Black and Sad on the Barbican website right now or after you finish listening. Our friend Samaya did all the filming and editing, and it really showcases some of Dee's incredible poetry. But hello, I'm Pip. My pronouns are they, them. I'm a non-binary queer tucked away in a little corner of London. Uh, At the moment, I'm just trying to get through my final year at uni during the absolute wildness that is the COVID pandemic. I study Japanese language and culture, um, but I do some digital art on the side, which I will be plugging later. So watch out. Uh, Even though my main life focus is language and cultures, the London art scene really does just have a special place in my heart. In my experience, it's been a really welcoming and dynamic community for me. And I've made some incredible friends and connections just showing up to events. Yeah, you're right. Uh, The London art scene can be really exciting and it has some amazingly talented people. And I think that's what makes it more sad, like the lack of support for the artistic community. It's unfortunate because it's a space for growth and exploration. Mm. I remember in the middle of lockdown seeing the government's reskilling campaign and it had this ballerina and it said Fatima's next job could be in cyber (laughs) and just seeing how blatantly undervalued the arts are is just like really sad and I think that heavily relates to the inspiration of this podcast. Yeah trust it was such a blatant push towards tech over art 
and <sighs> yeah, I hated yeah. it. it. Made my skin crawl. Um, <laughs> but yes, we we did actually struggle for quite a while deciding what to call this podcast. Um, especially for me, like I'm not really great at naming things, uh, but I was super happy with the name that we landed on. I do have to give credits to my older sister because she introduced us to this essay by Camus that just like perfectly hit on what we were both feeling about the arts at that time. Like deep in the middle of lockdown, watching the government just tear into the arts and seeing all of our plans and all of our social lives just melting. Honestly, that's like really true. The name of the podcast comes from Camus' essay called Create Dangerously, where he's lamenting how society was receiving art in his day. And a quote that really stood out to us was, the doubt felt by artists of today concerns the necessity of their art, hence their very existence. It's this idea of society completely undervaluing art, and that causes artists self-doubt, doubting if art really matters, when it's necessary to question, teach, disrupt, and reflect. Yeah, 100%. Like, yeah, I mean, how many times in your life have you heard that art isn't a real career? Oh, so many times. So many, so times. many times. So many times. Despite the fact that every human-made thing that we interact with has been designed by an artist or a team of artists at some point. And this instability and undervaluing of art in society that Camus was really stressing about is still so systemic today, despite it being completely misguided. And I really do think Camus said it best when he highlighted that the basic principle of free creation is the artist's faith in themselves. And so that's what we want to highlight on Creating Dangerously. We want to create a platform for emerging artists to showcase and explore their work, to feel like their expression is valid in a space free from the weight of social media clout and societal expectations. And that perfectly encapsulates it. So over the course of Creating Dangerously, me and Pip are going to be interviewing emerging artists, asking about how they create and the threads that pull this creativity together. And some episodes, we might just talk to our artist selves. Basically, we're trying to create a little audible map of the current London art scene for you folks tuning in. Exactly. But you know, like, what always really baffled me when I went to events about London was just the sheer number of ridiculously talented people here and how few really get platformed. How few really get the chance to sit down and explore their art in a comfortable, non-judgmental space that they can really just carve out for themselves. So that's what me and Dee want to do. We love you, Arts London, and we want to give you back just a little bit of space. So yeah, that actually perfectly segues into the first artistic check-in of Creating Dangerously where me and Pip check in on what we've been getting up to or seeing in the art scene, kind of like a maintenance report covering our art, current discussions and other random interesting art things. For our first episode, and because we're setting the scene, I wanted to ask you what the London art scene means to you, Pip. Hmm, okay. Uh, well, the London art scene is kind of where I gained a lot of my confidence and first felt like a sense of belonging in a group. Um, I had a pretty bad wow. time making friends as a kid because I don't know, I'm a little bit strange. You know, you can vouch for that. <laughs> I'm a little bit strange. <laughs> yes, yes, um, yes, I can. I'm not super socially awkward or anything. Um, 
or at least overtly. I'm not overtly socially awkward, but yeah, people just get a bit confused by the things I say. And I always thought when I went to university and was surrounded by people who were just as passionate about Japanese and Japanese culture and studying as I was, um, that I'd find my people. But no, I was very, very wrong. I was very much wrong and I did not fit in. Um, But that is where I met you. Actually, no, I met you at a poetry event at Roundhouse (laughs) much before then. Um, is actually where I met much you. before then, and you did not remember me. <laughs> no, 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 I did you did not. not. I met Destiny at this poetry <laughs> event and complimented their poetry. They had amazing green hair at the time, looked sick, and <laughs> I went up to them. I was like, "Wow, your poetry is so amazing! It really spoke to me." And um, Destiny was baffled because I was very confused you want to tell them what the poem was was about and why you were confused the poem was about colorism in the black community so I was very confused because if you don't know Pip is white (laughs) (laughs) very white my eyeballs get sunburned (laughs) so I was I was more than a bit confused I meant that your delivery and your performance was so emotive that even though I didn't understand anything about that, because of course it does not affect me, I was like, I I feel this, you know, like this person has done exactly what art has the most capability to do, which is communicate, you know? I felt this communication. Honestly, I, I'm thankful that I, I we went to the same university, like literally perchance, and 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 Pip got to explain. I did, yeah. <laughs> you would have been <laughs> you would have been baffled by that for the rest of your life. Like, what was that white person doing? Like, why? <laughs> but yeah, so very luckily, I met Destiny before at an event at Roundhouse. It was fantastic, um, and then I bothered them. I badgered them for a year. Because uh, they would not reply to my texts. Um, but as you can see, I'm very persistent and strange. Uh, yes, in that, that I, that's very. I strange. did not get the cue to very leave you persistent. alone. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so and now we're here. And now we're here. So clearly, I did something right. Um, <laughs> clearly, but outside of you and a couple other people at uni, I was very wrong. I didn't really make that many friends on my course, and I didn't connect in the way that I thought I would but then I started going going to more arts stuff with you arts events with you and with uh my ex at the time um and all this kind of stuff and I thought wow like when I'm at these events and I open my mouth other people don't look at me like a bird has just flown out of my face you know they look at me like, oh yeah, that person's yeah. got some some shit to say. And I'm like, yeah, I do have shit to say. I have so much shit to say. And most of it's yeah. most of it's ridiculous, but I am here for it. And if you're here for it, let's be for it together, you know? And yeah, it was it was great. Like starting to move through the art scene and and meeting people through you and meeting people through my friends who attended theater school. I just started to believe that people could actually accept me for who I am. Like I'd say things and people could laugh and agree with me. Um, so yeah, even though I don't create as often as I sometimes feel I should, I feel really welcomed and really loved within the art scene in London. And honestly, during these uh, 
lockdowns, tears, uh, tier 47 that we are now entering in, in the year of our Lord, 2021. Um, <laughs> I miss it madly. <laughs> you know, I, I, I miss the art scene madly. Yeah. But yeah, enough about me. What about you, Dee? What does the art scene mean to you? Oh, um, I'd say I'd have, I had like a really interesting experience. Uh, I got into poetry quite young. I found it really helpful to like challenge, channel a lot of the emotions I was feeling. Um, I got into open mics and events and that like just helped even more. Like people encouraged me, they supported me. And I found mm. similar to you, like like-minded people that understood what I was going through. And that was really affirming. But so I don't want to glamorize the scene, you know? Like it mm. it was really helpful for me, but I don't want to like act like there were no problems. Like there are issues. Like there's issues with funding, issues around race and sexism, trauma, accessibility, Trust. and more. Oh, yeah. Lord. But I, Lord, I know that the list like is endless. I <laughs> it's, it's it's honestly endless. But like I care about this scene enough to acknowledge how it has supported me and desire improvements, you know? Yeah, trust. Like the sense of community is very vital, especially because London is so massive that at times it can feel really, really lonely. But if you're close to something and you love it, you need to know how to criticize it with love. Exactly. You know, uh, demand yeah. change with love. Um, and, you know, you mentioned there being issues in the poetry scene with race, sexism, accessibility, etc. cetera. Um, and I'm not a poet in case you hadn't noticed, but <laughs> I was wondering like, what did that look like for you? And what kind of issues did you, did you notice? Um, it, it's, it's something that we, I know that we're most likely will be talking about in more depth later on, but I've seen this around accessibility, hmm. like, there were so many times when my younger sister couldn't come to my events because the event wasn't physically accessible. And that was so frustrating. I can imagine. And yeah, and, and it just makes me think how many other like physically disabled poets or people with mobility issues just can't access events. Like not even to mention the need for captions or trigger warnings. Yeah, interestingly with that, I was reading something the other day and it was talking about how a lot of people who are um, physically disabled or neurodivergent have found the COVID pandemic and everything going online incredible for them because they're accessing events and spaces that just were not there for them before. Like those were not spaces for those people. And suddenly... Honestly, it's really true. Yeah, it's really suddenly true. they can access it. And I'm sat here complaining because I'm not someone who has to struggle with those <laughs> things. I want to be around people. But it's really started the conversation of how how can we do both? You know, how can we, yeah. how can we make things accessible for people who really need that human contact, that, that energy? Yeah. And how can we also extend those spaces to people who physically can't get there? How can we open those spaces for them? And for people who are, you know, neurodivergent or, and, you know, can't get out of the house, how can we create space for them, you know, virtually so that they can access it? 
it it honestly like you've literally hit it on the head like it's true that there there are people who have been working to make spaces more accessible and have been working on captions and making sure that trigger warnings are used but it kind of feels like it's only in this moment of crisis Mm. that people have really gathered up arms and just been like okay we actually need to get this together and actually do something for everyone and make sure as many as much people yes. can access things as possible and that just shows how ableist so much of our society <laughs> is and that it takes for a global pandemic for people to start considering that there are people who <laughs> for a myriad of reasons could not access those services and those events before like that's it's shocking actually when you put it that it's, way it's true it's really true and you um, um you mentioned uh, trigger warnings as well which you know definitely i i feel that i feel the even now there is i feel like people put trigger warnings more with the online events because they have more time and they have more space yes but yes at live events oh at live events sometimes that just did not it did not go that way (laughs) it's very true i feel like for a lot of people it's an afterthought Mm. like it's not it's not even a kind of like malicious intent kind of thing like people just don't remember or it's like not on the agenda or it's just not really seen as important and that is a big worry for me like Mm. i i have been to events and been triggered and felt like i am actually feeling like really overwhelmed and i don't know what to do right now because i wasn't given any prep for this yeah yeah and that is like that that for me is like really worrying like as a poet to give something to an audience and to not have them ready for that Mm. and for them to feel overwhelmed and not have anywhere to put that like that's really scary yeah and especially like you you're moving through this scene as a poet as well so there must be an element of of stress of like okay i'm i'm triggered i'm not feeling great i need to remove myself from this situation but how is that going to make the poet feel? How do I leave without feeling like all eyes are on me? You know? Yes, 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 yes. It, it It's a really difficult one to balance because even at events where there are trigger warnings, there might not be the space for you to just leave mm. or you might not feel comfortable to just leave. Mm. Like, it's a really complex situation, but I think that having spaces like this where you can actually talk about it and not feel like you're just you're, you're just bashing a scene because you hate a scene, but you care about a scene and you want it to flourish. Yes, is really like what like a big step in this process. Yeah, definitely because you know I've been at events and there are events that I love. You know I go to regularly, and I had this one experience of being at an event where something this poet was up there and I don't remember what they said exactly now I just remember they said something and it really triggered some deep trauma in me and unfortunately I I wasn't with someone who was very supportive at the time I didn't feel like I could reach out so I felt very alone in in that moment and I felt awful I felt so bad because I didn't want to disrespect the poet I knew that what they were talking about was their experience and I want people to feel like they have the space to explore their trauma 
um, explore things that are uncomfortable as well because I don't think art should be sanitized. I think it's really important to to evaluate and to express difficult experiences in life. But dude, I just didn't know what to do with myself. I didn't know how to look after myself in that moment. And it didn't feel like there was much of an infrastructure or, or that there were people really enforcing that um, people coming up for open mics need to know that because the people who've organized the event don't know what they're going to read, they have to be responsible for their own content and the effect that that might have yeah. on the audience. Yeah, you're 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 really right. And I think it really comes full circle because I have been to good events that have been like, yes, we use trigger warnings. Yes, you can leave. And we've also we've also booked another space where you can relax mm. and we have people on hand that can help you. Wow, that's amazing. But I'm like, that's funding. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing, but that's funding. And that's funding is a, like a completely other issue in itself oh, because I know that there are lots of events that are literally like in a pub and the only reason they can exist because the pub owner is nice and doesn't like make them pay. Mm. It, it's, it's, it's a, it's a wide spectrum and, and it's hard. Yeah. And I appreciate the fact that it's hard. And you know, the thing is with these places which are often, underfunded is that's where you get the biggest aggregate of marginalized people you know who who tend to be dealing with not only just personal trauma but uh societal trauma (laughs) like economic trauma exactly trauma of being alive in a society that doesn't want you you know (laughs) yes honestly honestly you're so right um Lord, I'm remembering like the issues with pronouns as well. Because mm. we're both they themers, they them. Yeah, we are MBs. And I'm just yeah. <laughs> like, yes, our pronouns, pronouns exist in the dictionary. <laughs> <laughs> if you need oh white men gosh. to confirm it for you, they done have. <laughs> oh Lord, oh Lord. Yes, very much so. They them is is valid. They them is valid. <laughs> pronouns are just like (laughs) they they are such a big thing like i've been to some really good events where pronouns are treated as naturally as names and some others where the host misgenders the performer on stage and oh my god what in front of all the people there as well (sighs) yes and i'm just like I know that not everybody wants to have to like, you know, correct someone on stage right before you're about to perform. Like, and you shouldn't have to. And that's always disappointing to me because it's like, I don't feel like people see it as an important thing of how to create, you know, a comfortable open environment. Like that's Mm. what we need. Yeah. Cause can you, can you imagine how destabilizing that is for the performer to, not only have to feel comfortable enough to share their work, which is a very, uh, very private thing for some people um, and can take a lot of courage, but then to get up on stage in front of a bunch of people they don't know and to have someone invalidate them just right there, you know, right before they're about to share something very personal or very loved or very difficult. That just must be horrendous like I get upset when I get misgendered at work you know 
Yeah. I'm there putting my they them in the in the brackets, you know, like <laughs> underneath my name. I got brave enough to start doing that and I still get called the wrong pronouns. So I'm just there like, okay guys, cool, cool, cool. Love that. Love that. My name is also gender neutral, you know, like Pip is a gender neutral name. Like it's not that hard. It's sad. It is it's really sad. It's like across the board, like societally. Mm. But specifically within arts events that you you would hope. Cause they tend to yeah. be more progressive spaces that they'd at least be aware of it, you know? I mean, again, yeah. There I think I've been lucky enough to go to events that are are try are more progressive, are more diverse. Um, and I guess that's that's a privilege in some ways of being in London that that I have access to these spaces. Um, yeah, but it's very sad. It's very sad to hear that that performers can be treated that way at events. It really is. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely <sighs> been like an amazing experience, um, or at least very validating for me working with Rise, because so many of our um, creative partners, the people doing all of the other beautiful podcasts on this in this series are trans <laughs> non-binary people and mm-hmm. the some of the people who run it are trans non-binary and mm-hmm. yeah. it was so affirming like feeling very seen and very accepted yeah in that space yes you know you're like you're really right you're really really right like it, this, there's a comfort that comes with like knowing that people will accept all of you, mm-hmm. you know. And like, there's sometimes where I go, where I go to events, like online or otherwise, or I go into a space, and I'm just like, I better you she she her because. Really? This place isn't comfortable. <gasps> like, I know this place isn't going to be nice. I know I'm going to be misgendered on purpose. Like, it's really, really not worth it. That's it's fu- really, yes. It's messed up. I know. Like, sometimes it, it's a weighing in your mind of like, do I want to be misgendered right now? And I'm just like, oh. I'd much rather choose to be misgendered than, 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 than risk the the being like brutally misgendered you know mm. where people just don't care enough to like use your cor- correct pronouns like they just don't care and that's sad but i'm just like i'd much rather have that as a quote-unquote choice yeah no for sure that that's that's terrible i didn't know that you had to deal with that destiny. Yeah. that's awful and you know these spaces shouldn't be spaces to be re-traumatized you know yeah yeah they really shouldn't be and i know you've mentioned this at some point before but like you've had you've you've talked to me about how you've had an issue with feeling like uh trauma and and the arts can be almost inextricably linked whether that be um (laughs) them being spaces where you are re-traumatized or places where you feel like you have to use your trauma um to be to be validated within the scene because you're talking about something deep and difficult. Yes. I have really seen this and I've spoken to my therapist about this a lot <laughs> of just like trauma porn and like the way like traumatizing experiences of people like 
often marginalized people, like queer people, women, black people, like people who are sidelined in society are kind of like mined for content. And mm. Mm. we know that this is what society does already. Right? I mean, but it's sad that, you know, this place is meant to be so, like safe and comforting and where you're, you, where you can feel safe to like talk about these traumatic events can also feel like it's kind of leeching off of those experiences. Yeah, and that really highlights for me when when I've gone to events, like there have been at least, like at least two poems at any given time that will feature very traumatic experiences. And I think that's very valid, but I think, and, and you know, I was op- operating off the basis that you know, people tend to link art and sadness or art and difficult emotions or art and pain. Yeah. And, and that becomes a vehicle through which people can express and, and deal with and, and move through pain and difficult experiences. But to think that people might be feeling pressured to put their trauma into the space, to feel like their presence and their art is valid is so troubling to me. And yeah. it's horrendous. Like, I have no words. No, you're you're right. Like it it's worrying. It's really worrying and I often feel this with like whenever I would like talk to younger poets and they would talk about my poems and be like, "Yeah, your poems are just so like deep mm. and like they just like stir people and they do things and I'm just like it's not because they're sad. Like, <laughs> like I, I know, I know I have a lot of sad poems, but it's not because my poems are sad. Like that's not why they, they do that stuff. It's not because of the trauma. Like mm. the trauma doesn't, doesn't do this. It's the skill. And I think there's, it's the there's, skill you have. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, um, yeah, it is sad to like, feel like you have to kind of mine this, this trauma for content. Like I, I must get something out of this. Mm. Yeah, my God. And and that's very true. I hadn't thought about it, you know, like, I mean, I mentioned earlier that the thing that resonated with me was not the the content necessarily. It was the delivery, the skill, the artistry that went into you. Uh, I don't want to say the word packaging because that feels very capitalist. Um, <laughs> but your ability to be able to uh, condense and wrap up these very difficult experiences these very complex experiences into a form that even i could digest and even i could understand was incredible you know like that's that's a skill and that takes many many years and i think that would be a really interesting conversation to have you know like the conflation of trauma with skill and with art and that trauma does not equal art. Art in, in and of itself is art. And trauma can be interwoven with it. But trauma does not equal creativity. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. But like, you know, don't give them don't give them too much of the content. Like, well, this is just the first episode, Pip. This mm-hmm. is just the first episode. But yeah. In light of that, um, I'm curious, like, what has the poetry scene really helped you with? Like even just one thing that you feel like you may have not been able to understand or have felt comfortable with without it. I think I would say the biggest help 
has been finding people who care about creating and challenging the world as I know and like finding people who believe in a better world and encourage me to imagine it yeah that's beautiful very lovely okay let's pause This brings us to our first ever guest here on Creating Dangerously, Mandisa. Mandisa is a multidisciplinary artist that I love and we are super excited to hear from them. Thank you so much for being here with us, man. Like, oh we're honestly God, so gassed about this. Thank you so much for having me. I was very shocked when someone asked me to talk. <laughs> but here I am. <laughs> and a wonderful voice you're bringing to the podcast too like my goodness mm, thank you, thank you. <laughs> would you mind giving us a, a little self-introduction just so listeners can know a little bit about you however feels comfortable for you to express yourself and also your pronouns if you wouldn't mind yeah okay um my name is Mandisa Apenna my pronouns are they them and I make stuff, I, I, I write poems and I, I make videos and yeah, that's kind of started from like points of thinking about um, self and divinity. And yeah, I've been making stuff since, well basically since forever, but kind of like more, I guess, professionally since I was Eighteen, um, five years. You know, speaking of like self and self identity, like I'm actually really interested that you you mentioned that your work explores self and divinity and and how those things intersect. And for you, how do you feel like they intersect? It's so like so. Me and my housemates just had like a massive conversation about this this morning, actually. And we was topical. <laughs> we were just thinking about like and like kind of like talking about our like opinions on what like the self actually is and like one of my housemates was very much like mm. like believes the self is just how we've experienced things on this earth and like that it's a makeup of our experiences as um the person we are so like being black or being like disabled or being like white or being this like whatever like your identity is definitely like imbues the self mm-hmm. and I I, def- I agree that it, it does it does definitely like navigate your way of going about the world I think it's something more like universal and and deeper and yeah I was like I was I was saying like I definitely like think even though like I'm black and like a white person may never like really understand like or experience what I'm experiencing I don't think it's excluded for them to be thinking the way I think or like feel the way I feel or experience life the way I experience life that's something that is like universal when you get down to the 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 core of it yeah like the experience of life yeah no no exactly and of embodying that life through like a human form um so yeah Mm. my work is very much about like trying to get to the heart of that and what that actually means because I feel like I have definitely an idea and I've experienced it but 
yeah, I feel like it's, yeah, trying to get more to that. Yeah, that's a very slippery concept to try and grapple with as well. I mean, very, uh, extremely interesting as well. I love that um, us asking you uh, to introduce yourself naturally led into a conversation about identity and how identity exists as like a construct in society, but also how we experience things like experientially, like how do we define ourselves and and what labels do we choose to take on? And even us talking about pronouns at the beginning, you know, we're all, we're all, yeah, you know, all, all three of us are, they, them, is out here in the, in the, in the pronoun field, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we're non-binary. You know, you can use they, them and, and be cis if you wanted to be like, the, if you wanted to be, you are. If you want to use they, them pronouns, you can still be cis and, you know, you can be uh, a man. You can identify as a man and use they, them pronouns. And I love that. I think I love the multiplicity and the the flexibility of identity. And I can imagine that's a really exciting um, and pliable idea to kind of start moving around with art. We were talking about like our identities or I, w- I was saying like our identities are like lenses that we have a view on the world. For me, like something like my blackness or non-binariness also comes to like, on one side it is, it only exists because of an other, like my blackness only exists because of like a whiteness or like an Asianness or like, you know, anotherness to compare it to. And in that way, it is kind of like, I guess, a response rather than maybe like innate, but also like there is something about my blackness that is kind of just like, you know, certain things that like culturally, like black people do have been brought up to do. Uh, no, I can't think of an example. I can, I, I, like I was thinking with, with like my, like non-binaryness, it allows me to not have to say yes to things I don't want to have to say yes to <laughs> like I, I I definitely like I think if there was I wrote a poem about this as well like if there was no one there to compare myself to I wouldn't have the need to say I'm they them because it wouldn't for me personally it wouldn't matter because there's nothing to com- compare to you know I, I am Mendisa like obviously <laughs> like um and that that's who that's who I am I just feel the need to say I'm they, them for other people so they can understand or a, a sort of idea of how I'm navigating life and how I want people around me to see see me. That's really interesting. I think it, it's making me think of how enforced gender is, especially like the gender we're assigned at birth. And how, or at least for me, non-binaryness feels like being able to have a choice in that and being able to be like, mm. no, I, I don't want this enforced on me anymore. Yeah. Truly, I, I really vibe with that. I hadn't really thought about it in that way, but it is massively freeing. It's a very freeing experience to be like, Yes, I've grown up being told that I should be X, Y, Z, but quite frankly, my experience has not been that. And I would like to define how I navigate spaces. I would like to define that these clothes are Pip's clothes. They're not a boy's outfit. They're not a girl's outfit. These, 
this activity is an activity that I love doing, like it being feminine or masculine in terms of how society has deemed it to be is irrelevant to whether I enjoy it or not. When it comes to experiences of gender, because they are, um, you know, I mean, you were talking about um, experiences of of blackness and black identity, which obviously I cannot comment on as I'm mm-hmm. white. And there there is an intrinsic nature to that that I I just will never know, but I can listen and I can I can make space and I can make silence for those experiences to be heard and to be, you know, crucial in our society and in our kind of samokram conversation. Um and I feel like with with gender, like you're saying, you have to you know, especially with non-binary gender when you're not um being like overtly androgynous or you're not being overtly gender confusion um and all these kinds of things it's very much a you define yourself in that space but you have to signal to other people through your pronouns or through language that this is who you are Mm. please like see me this way respect me this way but with blackness there's a lot less of a a choice I suppose I think I think um I think like with like my blackness it's kind of like again like going like I guess in terms of socially it's like okay like certain things I have a fear about or I'm, I'm nervous about or like um like for instance like just like getting a, a, a job or like you know like um applying for a house or like worrying about my little brothers out on the road um mm-hmm. and stuff like that um um, and obviously that's not all that blackness is like there's a lot of like community within like you know like Nigerian like because I'm Nigerian like Yoruba kind of like culture and it is kind of like you know sitting down together you're Yoruba yeah I'm Yoruba babe oh are you Yoruba Sorry. yeah I am Yoruba gang gang <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> um but yeah, like it, um, and that like informs the way like I I I view the world. It so you know like blackness is a way to make me like more empathetic and and realize you know like people's like other people's plights and like um, solidarity. Um. You have a wonderful take on these things. I was thinking, you know, I was listening to you speak about this idea of like solidarity and, and community and how your experience of of blackness helps you. F- be I think you said like more understanding or empathetic of other people's plights and I think that's gorgeous but it's also a reflection of of you as an individual that you have um that empathy and that you have internalized your experiences in a way that allows you to make room for others and like Mm -hmm. that that it was it was lovely listening to you speak about it honestly (laughs) um yeah but yeah one uh one aspect that me and destiny have actually been thinking about for a while is the idea of like what makes art important like in society or for individuals philosophically all sorts of things like that um and i think in terms of identity it's very crucial because these are often private or internal experiences when it comes to identity that we then externalize or that the external world forces upon the individual 
um, and forces us to internalize. So we wanted to ask you, why do you think art is important? And is this connected to why you create and why you write and why you uh, make, why you make stuff? Yeah, yeah. I would I would say that, I mean, from the big beginning of, of time, like people have just created like not even necessarily to like show other other people or, or like share on a on a platform like i can think of many like art references from like even prehistoric times which is like existed and like manifestations of what people are thinking and i, I think that's like as an artist nowadays it's very easy well i don't know about you all but I know for me, it's easy to feel like I've said this before. I said it in it like when I was talking with the Barbican on my um on a project. Uh, like it's easy to feel like your art isn't important or valid. But I can even remember being like really young and just reading loads and getting really like lost, but also like finding so much in these like, fantastical worlds. And it meaning so much to me and it being a real clear mirror of who I am, but also kind of like a, a magnifying glass on the world around me. And I think that's why art is important because it takes you deeper into yourself and, and make by questioning, making you, you question things that you may have taken for granted. And yeah, it, it can be such a, a source of like hope and togetherness when you see someone writing about or making art about the same things that you're thinking about and making art about and I feel like yeah art is a very natural thing for humans to do mm. yeah, that's why I, I, I think it's important if we didn't we'd be less able to yeah. just communicate about these things definitely I always felt like art is a form of communication mm. and I really like how you talk about like seeing art as like a way to look in yourself and like it makes me think of one of my guilty pleasures is um reading like mm. the skullduggery um <laughs> pleasant collection when i was younger and like i still read them now Ooh. and like i just love these books like they're so long and thick and like fantastical and just amazing and like i remember that the books were probably like my first encounter with like a gender queer person because they like for some reason they just had someone who was like had no gender and that in my like 11 year old mind was just like what i didn't know that this could even be a thing and i don't think i was conscious of it but like that making me more aware of the things that are in reality and questioning why those things are the way that they are. And that was just like pretty much a Harry Potter-esque book. And mm. that's just like, art is just wild, yeah. Like pretty much, like art is just amazing. It's incredible, yeah. It's brilliant. Like I loved, I loved how you were talking about um, reading and you know, I was taking some notes and I was thinking, you know, like reading, you get lost. But then you said, you know, you get lost in it, but you're also finding, you're like finding things out about yourself and about the world and using art as a kind of, I don't know, like a simulated experience of the real world that is, 
that can then be morphed and exaggerated and changed to reflect that artist's experience of things mm -hmm. and how they perceive life and gender and identity and all these wonderful, incredible things. And yeah, it's it was lovely. It was lovely hearing you talk about that because I was really thinking like, yes, I, I fully vibe with the idea that art is a a natural thing. Like all children draw mm. and, and they draw without question. You know, they draw not to to be good at it. They draw because it's fun. You know, they draw because they have seen something or they love something or they care about something and they want to express it. Mm in the way that they feel fit and it's beautiful. And I think that it's so wonderful that that's core to your experience of a value and importance in art. What one thing I was gonna um, ask about the London plant project because mm -mm -mm. I was really interested in it. And like, I was really interested in like what inspired you to start it. Well, I mean, I, I have to be completely honest it like the idea like originally wasn't mine it came from a uh, a person called DJ Freedom and they're like a DJ and like artist and activist and I remember like <laughs> seeing the post and it was like if you're a white person you need to give a black person a plant immediately and I was so dead <laughs> I was like say it again like this is so true and yeah, I got that idea like purely off of them and it wasn't like a, a thing to like, I really liked the idea and I, I thought it'd be nice if like, um, there could be kind of like, like a London centric community <gasps> for that. Um, oh, sorry, I was just like, is, is, is that the person that does, um, trap gardening? Yes, yes. Oh my yeah. gosh. Okay, yes, they're amazing. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, I was no, just like, no, 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 no. I feel like I remember this. I feel like <laughs> I remember this. Mm -mm -mm. They're so gorgeous as well. Yes. If you're listening, I love you. <laughs> 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 but like they've got they've got like a whole website set up and they've done like so much work on that. And I I I guess my kind of idea was to make it kind of like more kind of like localized because it was quite like I guess globalized but they've got like a, a section on their website for London but um I feel like yeah I just wanted to start that because like I knew there was quite a few white people that I knew that um had plants or were given away plants or like plant um parents and I definitely knew black people who wanted plants so I was just like put two and two together and I was like oh maybe we could have like a cute little like community here and like try and start things and to be fair like it's it's gone all right. I think one thing about it is that you have to to create a community. You have to pour your energy into it. And I've kind of like just set a foundation and laid the foundation. So it's definitely like it's called the London Plan Exchange for Black Solidarity. Um, you can check it out if anyone's interested. If you're white, please donate your plants and like not just your cuttings, like actual plants, because you know, and and you know, it, it engage. You know, buy a black person a plant if you've got expendable income. You know, don't. If you got it, give it. Um, I thought it was so wonderful that you came up with the idea for the plant project because you consumed art 
and you were like, this is a fantastic idea. I want to localize this because I want to help my community. And as well, like, I feel like as well, my relationship with like plants has changed a lot because I've always had plants. There's always been plants in the house since I was young. And my grandmother's always had like a garden and been like a bit of a garden. And so was, I feel like it is really looking after this like manifestation of life and energy and like giving a black person plant. It's not just like, reparations and giving a black person a plant because of racism you know it, it it's understanding the relationship that humans have with other life forms understanding those like i guess exchanges of care you know it is really re rewarding when you see like a new leaf come up like god i get so excited <laughs> i'm just like oh my god <laughs> I think that's that's kind of like why I kind of came off the idea of DJ Freedom mm. just because I thought it was beautiful what they were exactly what they were saying and I was just like yeah I I, I feel that oh thank you for doing it no, no worries if, yeah again if there's like any white people that want to you know actually like give plants you know hit me up if there's some black people that want to receive plants yeah. hit me up <laughs> Amazing. How can people how can people find this? Is it on Instagram, Facebook? Uh, is there a web page? It's on Facebook. You have to join it. It's a private group. Just type in London Plant Exchange for Black Solidarity. It is for black people. It's for the benefit of black people. So people who like aren't white, like people of colour who aren't black can join. But it's for predominantly black people. I love I love that we can platform this and and I'm so excited to tell more people yeah. about this because I think it's a wonderful 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 idea especially because there's loads of research actually that's gone into the fact that you know having plants in a room is so good for people's mental health like the greenery just even the color green mm -hmm. there's something in us biologically it it releases endorphins it releases happy hormones it it lifts the mood and it oxygenizes the space you know Having a bit of nature in your room is so good for you. And to be able to give to the community, and especially a community that is marginalised and oppressed so awfully in society and may not necessarily be as enfranchised to get the plants and the soil and the pots and all the things you need to look after it, that is just such a wonderful gift and such a beautiful thing that you've been able to facilitate, Mandisa, even if you're saying you just set the foundations. That's yeah, enough. It really is. You know? Thank you, thank you. But yes, um, that kind of segues pretty well into the fact that right now we're doing this uh, podcasting project with Rise and on Amplify's podcast, they're super passionate about raising voices of emerging artists and platforming artists and creating a community of people lifting and helping each other out. Um, so we wanted to ask you, Mandisa, if there's anyone in your circle or someone that you're really inspired by who's currently creating in London that you'd like to shout out and whether you'd like to uh, show us any of their work. Um, yeah, there's an artist at the moment, Rosie, Rosie Mills Ekmeyer. I actually, I, I worked with them for like a while at a project space in Croydon called Turf Projects. Shout out Turf Projects. I love Turf Projects. My my tiny little art family. But they uh, yeah they do a lot of their own art 
and a lot of it is about mental um mental illness and mm. mental health mm. and um like navigating that like I guess just like you know like the society like we live in a society but like nav- navigating <laughs> <laughs> navigating navigating society um with these kind of like just thinking and these these ways of like um yeah when it when it's just like hard and not recognized and mm-hmm. but yeah she's got um she's got a lot of like lovely workout like a lot of like visual stuff and also does like a bit of poetry um and yeah i i thought she isn't really i don't know she shares it but i i, I love it so much and i um i thought i'd i'd show, share some of you um, today and, and oh. you will listen if you would have her and um this one's called city mapping actually i'm pretty sure it's called city mapping I might have just made that up in my head, but I'm pretty sure it's called seat mapping. Rosie, if it's not called seat mapping, you can like slap me next time you see me. <laughs> <laughs> We're christening it. We're christening it city mapping today on Creating Dangerously. This is the baptism for Rosie's um, poem. Um, yeah. This is his Christian name. Uh, but it can have a middle name. <laughs> Mandisa is the god the godparent, you know. Of of this of this of this poem. Um yeah. Bless up. Yeah. <laughs> bless, bless up to bless up to this poem on this beautiful day. The weather this summer has been a poem, a crescendo of sweltering heat broken by a storm, warm rain soaking the concrete. The days have been lyrical a melody I'm still deciphering. Build and build and build and break. See where we are when the clouds clear. We move around the town centre, damp and claggy. The shopping centre is a sauna. The sweat is dissolved in the downpour. I have been thinking of the city as an organism, shifting and stretching, but always the same components, just reconfigured. I have been thinking of a hive mind with all of our memories marked on a map, a portrait of a place complete only with everyone's emotional landscapes laid on top of each other with sugar paper. One day that too will dissolve with our collective consciousness fading. Eulogy by eulogy. We will return to the carbon we once were and on us a new town will rise. We will vibrate under their feet and they will excavate us not with shovels and brushes, but digital tools not yet invented. I've lived here since I was a child, born in the hospital up the road. I went away for a while, but I returned as a teenager to vomit and cry on street corners. I've been unhappy as long as I can remember. I made my way home and when I got there, I saw it now only existed in memory. I mourned for it. Build and build and build and break. I crash into waves around me and find myself here again in the cracks of the pavement. A blade of grass breaking through. That was amazing. I loved that. I genuinely, I don't know if it was on purpose with the recording, but the the city 
soundscape behind that was just so perfect when they, when they were messaging me they were like oh it doesn't need to be totally quiet and I was like maybe like you know make it like as quiet as possible but they were like they live near a busy road I was like that to be fair that can't be helped and like we are in a, a panoramic so like yeah. it's not like we can go to the studio and like you know get it cladded or whatever but um yeah no I, I'm I think I know kind of a bit maybe a bit selfishly I like but like I love I love that poem just because it brings up so many things that I think about like the emotional like the emotional mapping of, of a place and like like for me especially like in dreams and stuff like how I like I remember a place in my in my dream and I, I, I experience it in the dream and like when I when I go to that place in in real life like I'll have like the same like reaction or I have or, or I think about it and it's like also vice versa like if I like go to this place or go to like you know like an old my my school or something like that and I think about it in the dream it like has this like kind of like emotional like layering and like texture that um is really like really really stays um stays with you You know, I genuinely, I, I waited to listen to the recording you sent us until just now listening to it together. But I did read it. I did read it because Destiny sent over uh, Rosie's oh. Tumblr, which also want to plug so people can go and listen to that and listen and read and read not listen, stuff. but read their, her stuff and all those kind of things. Oh, I'm, I'm in like a, I'm in a different realm right now. I love, I love the exploration of concrete and the the smells it's very sensory the poem and I think the recording just added to that so much more because you know I read it this morning but listening to it was so was so beautiful like hearing the sounds of the street hearing that mingled with her voice hearing the the rhythm of her speech alongside the intermittent sounds of cars and horns and it's especially growing up in London that is such a nostalgic and, and homely feeling in a strange way and you know like you're saying it really it really evokes that that sensation of of walking down well-trodden streets from you know your ends like where you've grown up and whatever and it just feels oh I loved it yeah, she she's got a beautiful is. voice uh, too like, honestly I feel like she's my my, my we, we was like she's my work wife but I feel like she's my like actual wife I love her so much <laughs> if this is you if this is you proposing Mandisa you better you better do it <laughs> she knows she knows she knows it's, it's just a matter of time baby um <laughs> you can plat like a little um you can do like grass plats you know with blades of grass and make a little like grass oh, ring to propose love with that. Yeah. love that yeah, I mean, I am broke can do it. AF, so. You can do it. <laughs> that works for me. Oh, my God, DIY, oh my God. DIY proposals. I'm here for it. Um, but, yeah, I, I think, like, just seeing yourself as, like, part of, like, part of this, this structure that, like, we call, like, like, home and, like, what it is to, like, return to something that you feel like is part of you. But then, you know, it, it gets, you know, it can be like, you know, like a, a house can be like 
knocked down like I know lots of people who their childhood homes have just been like knocked down turned the flats turned into something else or like you know so it's kind of like scratching at this kind of like feeling of like what constitutes you I I I guess um yeah the memories of 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 the self um and I I just also like really like resonate when she's like vomiting and crying on the street because it's just like that is like really big mood to be fair yeah I really really like that and I, I like how it comes from I went away for a while and I returned as a teenager to vomit and cry on street corners and like that it really makes you think of like you know um the child leaving the nest and then coming back you know stronger and like better and this teenager coming back to vomit and cry is just like <laughs> such a contrast in my mind and yet deeply accurate <laughs> who hasn't thrown up on um, a street corner in london <laughs> are you do you really live in london if you haven't done that <laughs> <laughs> say it again um <laughs> you know have you seen that um that tiktok i haven't seen that i don't think it was in the original or the original but it's like are you even a new yorker if you don't wear this jacket even and it's like a it's like a a, a black uh, you know black puffer jacket rumba jacket and it's like yeah have you are you even london now if you haven't like fallen down the streets like <laughs> drunk slash you know sad slash you know <laughs> it's like mm. You know, I feel that that is integral. <laughs> so are you even a roadman if you don't wear a puffer jacket or a full parka on a 30-degree no. day no. on a oh, bus no. in oh, No, London, you're in not. London. You don't understand the culture. You don't understand <laughs> it. and you, know, <laughs> you just had to be there. <laughs> <laughs> it's, impre- it's impressive. I look at these people and I'm like, they, I, you don't even look like you're breaking a sweat not even not even and they will never they're cool as ice i was really wondering um do do you think like responding to work and responding to other artists work helps you with your process of creating art um not really i I feel like in a in a way like it's kind of seeing someone else do like i find like i seeing someone else do something that i'm thinking about or like doing is kind of like a confirmation bias do you know what I mean it's kind of like oh well the thing I'm writing about or thinking about is not crazy I'm actually you know it's very kind of like universal what I'm thinking about if I I was using like analogy but if I was living by myself on a mountain with just some goats and I was making art (laughs) I think I'd probably still be making the same art (laughs) do you know what I mean I love that You'd be, but you'd be reflecting it off the goats. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I, I, I think, I think, seeing other other people's art is always a wonderful, a really wonderful experience. I was even just thinking about your work, Destiny, in the Barbican. I love that so much. Like, in, and I just love. So, me and Destiny oh, were on the same you. project. No, it's it's really like it was so gorgeous such a striking image and the colour don't even get me started on your piece like, oh, st- <laughs> your piece is just like destiny 
get to Pussy Palace right now. Oh my right god, now. no. Like, <laughs> I felt so sad. I felt so sad just watching. I was like, I miss this. I miss this so much. It's crazy. Like, obviously, I know this is like, you know, everyone's, it's very base, but it is just really wild the thing, the way things have like panned out. And like, I would have never expected like missing like a smoking area Dude. so much. And just like mm. chatting the most mm. with like uh flipping Tom from, you know, like my lend, you know, and <laughs> like asking for like a cigarette from like, you know, like that like person over there and like just walking around like making eyes of like the hottie from across the it, and that's one of the most beautiful things about London and I think that was one of the things that for me, like, I never, like, I want to stay in London, or at least I always want to be connected to it. Uh, but definitely with lockdown, I was realising how massive this city is because I couldn't go anywhere and realising mm-hmm. how so much of my life, even though I live in Northwest, was centred around being in South and East. And, yeah. But, yes, uh, to wrap up, um, we wanted to ask you uh, our titular question for Creating Dangerously. We wanted to ask you, uh, what do you think artists or creators need to feel valid in their artistic expression? And this could be um, individually, what you think you need to feel valid, or within groups, what people need to feel valid, or societally. However you want to define the question, you go for it. But we really want to hear your answer about that. I think for artists or people who make stuff to feel valid about either themselves or the art is to try and remove it as much as possible from things that have the potential to make it or make you feel like unvalid, if that's a word. Um, I think it's, it's not like Obviously, it's not easy and it's not just like clear cut as like, you know, removing it and it's it's more of a, a process and thinking less about like the purpose of the art for others, even maybe for yourself, I don't know, um, and just allowing the spirit of what's driven you to think about these things and rum- ruminate and kind of like just like that flow for you is like naturally instinctually and kind of like you know truthfully as possible um mm. so that's my answer <laughs> that was lovely thank you thank you see thank you so much for coming on the podcast with us and for being our first ever guest on creating dangerously and you've brought such a wonderful energy and you've brought such beautiful softness and, and stillness to this conversation and again like for me at least drawing connections in my mind very plant-like very soft very 
thoughtful, branching mm-hmm. ideas and conversations we've been able to have with you, Mandisa. So thank you so much for coming and bringing that energy with you and sharing it with us. It's been really enjoyable to speak speak to people and and to like yeah and to and to listen. Um, and I'd love I'd, I'd love to continue this and, and listen to you more and speak more. But we've yes. got a limited amount of time. Yes. I know, but doesn't mean <laughs> we can't have you on the podcast again. And oh, wow, yeah. wow. You yeah, are yeah, let's, formally let's, invited back. Let's you do are. this again. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Thank you so much, Mandisa. Hey, thanks, thanks for coming Listen, on. Thank you, on. Destiny. Thank you. Damn, that has been feeling all kinds of ways. It has been so long since I've been in any kind of forest or like anything green that isn't the playing field near my house, to be honest. Right? I'm seeing plants in a completely different light. I just want to send a big thank you to Mandisa for coming here and being so open about their work and mm. experience as an artist. Please go and follow them on Insta at Trash. That's T-R-A-S-H-H-H. A-S-H. And don't forget to check out the London Plot Exchange for Black Solidarity on Facebook. And also, please make sure to go check out Rosie, who sent in her amazing poem. She's on Instagram, at Rosie London. That's at Rosie, R-O-S-I-E-L-D-N. And Aloba told us that she's dropping some new poetry soon, so... That's right. And that concludes the first episode of Creating Dangerously here on Amplify. We want to give a big, big shout out to the Rise Collective who've given us the opportunity to kickstart our podcast. You can follow them on Instagram at the Rise Collective UK. Go check them out. And a big, big shout out to Patrick Hemington who made the transition music for Creating Dangerously. You can find him on SoundCloud and Spotify as Patricius and on Instagram as Patricius. That's at P-X-T-R-I-C-I-U-S. And of course, we have to plug ourselves, so go give Destiny's Instagram a follow at Poetry and Destiny. That's Poetry and Destiny. And you can find my artwork on Instagram at Hello Cactus Flower. That's Hello underscore Cactus underscore Flower, because someone else already took Hello Cactus Flower. I'm coming for you, whoever you are. But anyway, it's been <laughs> sick, and we can't wait to bring you more words from more artists in and about London. Thanks for listening. This has been Creating Dangerously, and see you next time. Bye. Bye. This podcast was brought to you by The Rise Collective. Thank you to Marla Axon, Amy Parks, Kyle Blackburn, Sarisha Kumar, Max Sanderson, and Claude Barbet Brown. Music by Pembroke. We would also like to thank the Young Londoners Fund for making this series of Amplify possible. If you'd like to find out more about RISE and support our work, visit our website www.therisecollective.org.uk or follow us on Twitter at RISE Amplify or Instagram at The Rise Collective UK. See you next time on Amplify.